Thank you. It's lovely to be here this morning. And I just want to read a little bit from way back in the Old Testament chapter, Exodus chapter 3. We know the story, if we have been Christians very long, of Moses, a man of real character, a man that God used in a tremendous way. But when I go into my Bible, I find a little description of Moses that probably fits some of us at some time in our life. And I'd like to read that first. Moses was certain that God was making a mistake by choosing him to lead the Israelites. His five excuses, and we've all had excuses from time to time, why we should not be doing something for God. His five excuses indicated a lack of confidence in his ability to get the job done. Firstly, he had a crisis of personal identity. Who am I that you're going to choose me, God? Secondly, he had a crisis of authority. He questioned why God should call him and where his authority would lay. What is your name? It's Moses. He had a crisis of faith, and we're looking at faith, hope, and love. A crisis of faith. They'll not believe me if I tell them. They'll not believe me if I try to lead them into what you have from them. They'll not believe me when I tell them that I've got a word from you for them. So he had a crisis. He had a crisis of ability. I'm not eloquent. I can't put the words together. I can't put paragraphs. When I first got saved, my wife will tell you, when we first went to Bible college, I was that kind of guy. I had left school in the Dunces class. I was not eloquent. I had to take my English uh, E-level at Bible college at 32 years of age to try to put paragraphs and sentences together. For the first year in Bible college, doing our essays, I would write it all out. My lovely wife, bless her heart, would take hours putting it in sentences, putting it in paragraphs, putting the apostrophes together and all the rest of it. And thankfully, that contributed to my overall score at the end of the two years, where I had an overall score of 63%, and the pass mark was 45%. So, hallelujah for that. And uh, I think I can put sentences together quite well nowadays, all because of God's grace. He had a crisis of obedience. Why send me, Lord? Here's somebody else. Are you thinking about that, about the person sitting next to you? They can do the job far better than I can. Why choose me? Have you ever felt that? Come on. Have you ever felt that? Many times. I'm not eloquent. Who I send me, there's somebody better than me. But the amazing thing is, when he put his faith in God, because God chose him, God used him, and God made him a man of faith. He wasn't at the beginning. He was anything but... And the little verse I just want to read is from Exodus chapter 4, verse 2. What have you got to offer God this morning? What have you got? What have I got to offer God this morning? Well, you know, we all from time to time have a... How many of you had have, have had your medical checkup this year? Anybody? Nobody had their medical checkup? Well, it's time you went and got one. I wonder why you're afraid to go and get it. Are you afraid they're going to find something wrong? That's why we don't have medical checkups. All right? I actually had one a few months ago because the company I am now employed with decided that I needed to get my HGV license back, and they sent me for my medical, and hallelujah, at 17 a wee bit, I passed with flying colors. 
Come on, is that not worth a hallelujah? Yeah, of course it is. And I look good on it as well, don't I? I can, I can see those thoughts now. He doesn't look anything like it. But you know, folks, there's another checkup that we need to have regularly. And it's a spiritual checkup. A spiritual checkup. I wonder even this year, have you allowed God to define what the potential is for your life? Or are you going to allow the past continue to restrict you in what God's got for you? So I've got a real challenge for you this morning. As I look at Moses, he was defined by certain things in his past life. And I'm only picking out three of them this morning. Firstly, from a very, well, from when he was born, his life was under threat from uh, Pharaoh, the Egyptian king. We know the story so well, Exodus 1.16. When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women, see them on the birth stools. If it is a son, kill him. But if a daughter, she shall live. At that time, women were more important than men. Oh, come on, ladies. Come on, ladies. Are you, for goodness sake. Boy, Bill, you struggled this morning. I can understand how you struggled this morning. And then eventually it changed all around and men became more important than women. Yeah, you see. But in the Bible, it's together. Right? No one of them are better than the other because without one or other, we are totally lost, as I very well know. He eventually became an Egyptian prince, and perhaps he could have been defined by that. But eventually he became a fugitive and a shepherd. He could have been defined by that. And that's why he was the kind of man he was. When God says, right, Moses, it's your turn. Step up. Step up. And we've heard that expression already this morning. But folks, a new season is coming. And we have just finished winter. Isn't it wonderful that winter's nearly over and the heating's going to be ready next week? I had to get that plug in. I just had to get that plug in. (laughs) He still loves me after all of that, don't you? (laughs) A new day is coming. The heating will be here next week and the boss is not here and we're not here. How many of you are going to be here next week when the heating switched on? Tell everybody else. (laughs) There we go. Folks, I believe in God. There's a new season. And we are willing to take God at his word. God wanted Moses to become his leader. And Moses had to step up to the challenge that was put before him and allow God to define his life. And folks, our spiritual checkup this morning is, what will you allow to define your life from here on in? Are you going to allow the past to define it? Or are you going to allow God to define it and take you on with himself? You've got to go there, folks. You've got to go there. We, I believe, I, I need to be careful. I don't know where we're going as a church. I am not privy to those kind of things. But I do believe in God there is a period of transition in this church at this moment in time. And we've got to move with it, moving from one season into the new season. And the summer is almost here. The leaves and the blossoms and everything are out. They're gorgeous. And it will get warmer, hopefully, as well, (laughs) in the natural sense over the next few months. All right? But the Song of Solomon puts it like this to us. In Solomon chapter 2, Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 10 says, It says, My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my fair one. My wife does that to me every morning as she says, I'd love a cup of tea. 
and come away. The winter is over. The rain is gone and all the rest of it. The flowers are springing up. The time of the singing of the birds has come. And literally, that is where we are at at this moment in time. But folks, I believe there's got to come that stage in our church, in our Christian life, in our spiritual walk with God, that we need to step up, we need to rise up, we need to move forward with God, with what God's doing in church, and see what God's got for us. Because that's the only way we're going to see clinically changed in a powerful way. The season is changing. But in order to enjoy the blessings of the new season, the bride must rise up and travel with the bridegroom. Because if we know the Song of Solomon at all, it's in that, uh, uh, it's, I, I, I struggle with this little word. It's, um, let me just find it here. It's an analogy. Because the bridegroom is Christ. And the bride is us, the church. And I want to tell you something. When I got married, I was glad it was a beautiful bride that walked down the aisle. Oh, come on then. Isn't she lovely even yet? Now, come on. (laughs) But folks, God wants a bride that will walk with him. Not behind him, not in front of him, but she will walk with him into where he wants to take her. Hallelujah. And the bridegroom represents Christ, and we are the brides. And if we are to enjoy the blessings of this new season in God, we need to rise up and move out with the bridegroom, not with the mother and fathers, not with the father-in-laws or the mother-in-laws or any of the rest of it, but move out with the bridegroom if we are the brides. Wouldn't it be terrible if you got married and the bride stayed with her parents for the rest of your married life? What a waste. Well, for some it might be a blessing. Uh, shut up, John. No, it wouldn't be. Of course, I'm glad you said that, Bill. But God was calling Moses to rise up, to become active in life, because his life had become predictable and routine, caring for the sheep, caring for his family, one day following after another. Is it any wonder that life gets a wee bit boring sometimes? But I want to tell you some folks, when we rise up with God, our life will not be dull and boring because you will never know what God will do with you in those situations. In chapter 21 and verse 2, it says this, he settled down to live with his future father-in-law. He settled down. Can I ask you this morning, have you settled down in your Christian life? and your spiritual walk with God, that's a bad place to be. When we came down here and retired, our son sat us down, youngest son sat us down one day, and he, said, he, he lectured us. Isn't that terrible? Our youngest son sat us down and lectured us. He says, now listen, I know you've retired. You've come down here to retire. I don't want you two sitting in the armchair and going to seed. He really did. He laid it in. Looking back now, boy, was he totally wrong thinking that. (laughs) And sometimes in the Christian life, some of us settle for less than what God's got for us. And I want to tell you, folks, I believe as a church, we're in a season of change. Now, you can stay where you are. The choice is yours. Or you can move forward with God and what he might be doing through this church and through the leadership. 
Have you settled down? Where are you? There's a time when you were full of enthusiasm, excited about the plans and the purpose that God had for your life. But then you got distracted. Family came along. People took up your time and attention. Things happened. You get involved in other things in life and the life that God had for you got placed on the back burner as it were. Perhaps you even ran ahead of God as Moses did on a couple of occasions. And you've got into difficulties. And rather than continue that way, what did you do? You moved into the safe house. The comfort zone. We all like to be comfortable in the winter, don't we? But the trouble is you can settle there. You can settle there. And you get distracted. And dare I say it for Moses, that was a painful time. It could have been described as the winter of his life. No longer a prince in Egypt. Forty years he was out looking after sheep. Do you fancy that on the hills around Wales? Now come on. Up in those lovely mountains there, the Brecon Beacons. Day and night looking after sheep on a hill. Oh man. They don't do it now, the shepherds. They put them out and let them do their own thing. That's a bad thing for any shepherd to do nowadays. He tried to lead his people and they rejected him. He was employed doing one of the most menial jobs that was looked upon at that time. And dare I say it left him feeling fearful, tearful, failure, rejection, all those kind of, Have you felt those? I tell you what, I've felt them many times. And added to that, poor old Moses had a speech impediment. He stuttered or he couldn't get his words together. We're not told whether he was born with it, born with it or whether perhaps, this is just my thinking, because of the trauma of his life, he ended up with a speech impediment. I wonder, is it any wonder that he had decided to settle down, to snuggle down, you know that place at winter time? When the winter starts, what's one of the first things you do early at night? You close the blinds or the curtains. You shut the world out. You turn on the telly. You put the heating up. Well, in my house, it goes fully up. Not because of me, of course. I'm a hardy Scotsman. The heat goes fully up. It's hot piping, warm meals. And for some of you, it's a big, big bar of chocolates or a box of chocolates. You snuggle down and you get comfortable. And when the winter's starting to end, you say, I don't want it to change. I don't want to go, you know. And that's what happens with us. Dare I say it in our spiritual life, the same happens. And if you stay there, you know what's going to happen. I need to be so careful with my words here. Nobody, please take offense. You become fat, inactive, you have health problems. Am I right? And you lose out on what life is all about. But folks, literally, winter is past us. Spring are in the middle and summer is coming. The heat will soon be here again. Hallelujah. Amen. And we need to confront these issues. We need to keep confront the things that make us inactive for God, let alone for anything else. 
and move out, move forward with God. I believe this God is calling each one of us, whoever we are, young and the not so young, to stir ourselves, to rise up, confront whatever is presenting us from moving into what God desires for your personal life, first of all, for your family's life, and ultimately for the life of the church and the community to which we serve. God's got a plan and a purpose for, for clinically. We need to seek, saying, God, what is it? Help us to be involved in it. Dare I say, help us to roll up our sleeves yeah. and get involved. There's too many churches with too many people inactive. You're not going to like me today. That's, that's why it's so quiet, isn't it? But folks, if you don't get involved, you'll not get excited. It's as simple as that. He wants us to move forward with Him. Stop allowing things to prevent you from doing something for God. And say, I'm not having this anymore. God, I'm going to go for what you've got for me. You never know what the future will hold for your family. And I can just see some of you now. I can picture the brain wheels running around now. What kind of excuse can I give? Like Moses, what kind of excuse can I give for not getting involved in what God's got for me? I'm too tired. It's too much work. It's too much responsibility. I've got so many other things that I need to attend to. I've been rejected in the past. I've been hurt. I've volunteered and the church haven't used me and all the rest of it. Forget about it. Put it all back. Confront it and say, God, I'm not having this anymore. I'm going to get involved Oh, well, there's one or two that agree. Yeah, one or two. I'm going to get involved and I'm going to be part of what God's got for this place. That Clinetley, of all places, when we first came to Clinetley, we thought we were in the back end of nowhere. We did. We were in the Midlands. We were in the center of the whole of the UK, of all that was going on. We could get anywhere with no problems. And we come to Clinetley. Why? Because I believe now that God put us here. I do believe that. God has opened lovely many doors to me, even on Friday this week in work. One young receptionist, I was just walking by, having got my pay packets. And she said, can I ask you a question? And I said, what's that? She says, all of this that's going on in London with the environment and all the rest of it, do you believe that this environment could have an effect at the world's end? And I thought, wow, what an opening. Absolutely anything's possible, but you need to get your life right with God. Whatever is going to be the outcome with that. Amen, folks? So get involved. No excuses anymore for not doing something. Moses continually questioned God. Why should he choose him? Didn't he realize he was such a failure? Surely there's somebody better than me to do it. I've got a problem with speech and all the rest of it. After all, not only that, I tried helping my people and they rejected me. They, he had got all the excuses all lined up. He had 80 years of it. Now, is there anybody here 80 years of age? <laughs> Whoopsie-daisy. We don't want to know your age, Val. All right. <laughs> Not a good thing. I, <laughs> but Moses had had 80 years practice. Yeah. Yeah. So he had all the issues he lined up. 
And I thank God he had all the answers. Because each time Moses raised an excuse, God said, hold on, here, here, here. God didn't give up on him. Dare I say it, folks, we must never give up on God. He's got more for us. Exodus 2.13, the next day as Moses was out visiting the people, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. What are you doing hitting each other? You know, there's a, a, a tremendous thing there. You know, as Christians, we need to watch what we're doing. These were two Hebrew guys. We shouldn't be fighting amongst ourselves. Right? And Moses said to the one doing the wrong, and then the guy said, the one that was doing the wrong, who do you think you are? Who appointed you to be a prince and judge? Do you plan to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? What effectively he said to Moses was, we don't need an Egyptian prince to tell us how to live our lives. Folks, we don't need the world to tell us how to live our lives. We've got God. Let God tell us how to live our lives. Let God define who we are and what we do in the years that lie ahead. Amen? And so Moses reasoned, if his people were rejected him as a prince, what chance would he have when he was one of their own? He was only a lowly shepherd. But God, one by one, knocked down the excuses. What chance would Pharaoh have of listening to me now that I'm only a humble shepherd? What a mistake. Because with God, the most humble of people can become somebody in him. Genesis 46 puts it like this. When Pharaoh calls you and asks you about your occupation, tell him, we've been livestock breeders from our youth as our ancestors have been for many generations. For while you tell him this, he will let you live here in the land of Goshen, for shepherds are despised in the land of Egypt. I thank God he takes the despised things and can make them great. Hallelujah. He can take, someone in the New Testament says he takes the nobodies and he makes them somebodies. And folks, whoever you are this morning, don't settle for what you've got in God. It's always the second best, if not further down the line than that. Hallelujah. Even God told him, Moses, who he would become, and still Moses argued with God. It's a good thing sometimes to argue with God, but listen, God's always got all the answers. I wonder what excuses we have given. I need to be careful. What excuses we have given to God for not doing what he's asking you today? Moses, dare I say, almost shouted at God. Look, they won't believe me. He's trying to convince God. They won't believe me if I tell them. They'll just say the Lord hasn't appeared to you. He was really laying it on. God, I don't want to do this. But God. Perhaps you're using some of these excuses. I've tried before and failed. I'm too busy. I'll do it when I get a wee bit older. Well, don't wait till you get to my age. Or dare I say it, (laughs) or Val's age. (laughs) I thank God for Val because God's not finished with her yet. She might be about 20 years older than me. You don't look at Val. She loves me really. I'm hurt. I've got involved in church and people have hurt me. 
Well, get over it. Get over it. Confront it and give it to God. And let God use that hurt to strengthen you and to help you to put into other people's lives that are maybe going through it. I'm not good enough. So what? God's more than good enough to make up for that. I haven't got the ability. I've been there. I've done it. I've wore the shirt. Or perhaps, well, I'm just settled where I am. I'm comfortable with a commitment so far. Big mistake. Big mistake. It's not what I hoped for, but hey, it doesn't demand too much of me. Well, I want to tell you something, folks. God's making demands of us all here this morning because God's not finished with any of us yet. Thirdly and lastly, but it doesn't mean I'm finished just yet. God wasn't about to give up on Moses. He had millions more excuses I haven't covered this morning. And eventually he says to Moses, well, listen, what have you got in your hand? And it was only a stick. It was only a shepherd's crook. That's all it was, just an ordinary stick shaped into a shepherd's crook. And God said to him, what's that in your hand? And he says, give it to me and I'll use it. Folks, whatever little you or I have this morning, give it to God. And say, God, it might be very little, but you use it for your glory. And it will become something amazing in his hands. He depended on that uh, crook to protect and care for the sheep in such different situations. It became a symbol of what he had, just a poor, what he'd become, just a poor shepherd. In the past, he had carried an Egyptian prince's staff. Wherever he went in Egypt, they would have acknowledged who he was, his status, his position, and all the rest of it. But it was only a shepherd's crook. That's all it was. Simple piece of wood. And it symbolized all that Moses, sadly, had become. But with God, with God, something far greater was to happen in the next 40 years. Placed at God's disposal, it started to carry God's authority. And with it, over the next 40 years, God used Moses in incredible ways. And Val, you might be the oldest one here this morning, but who knows if God's got 40 more years for you, kid, what you could become and what God could accomplish through your life when you give it all to Him, all to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. Hallelujah. He brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. He led them for 40 years through the wilderness situation. He set them free from slavery. He brought them into a place of blessing. He showed Pharaoh God's power. He opened up the Red Sea so that the Israelites could escape from Pharaoh's army. And then when the Israelites got through and Pharaoh's army was in the middle, what happened? He used that stick to bring the water down over the top of them and kill all their enemies. Hallelujah. Folks, God's still in the business of killing our enemies. Oh, all right then. He used it to strike a rock to give them water in a dry and thirsty place. It was only a shepherd's rod. 
but it became the symbol of God's authority and power in his hands. And folks, whatever we have got to offer God this morning, in God's hand, it becomes a symbol of God's power and God's greatness. Whatever you have in your life this morning might seem of little value, not worth giving to God. But God takes, as I've said before, the little things and uses them to bring great blessings out of. In 1 Kings 7, 8, 17, we read of a widow. She had only a sufficient flour and oil left to make a final meal for her son and herself before they both died of starvation. But when she put it at God's disposal, what happened? She found the oil just kept going and going and going and going. Hallelujah. Because it had been put at God's disposal and she was able to feed herself and her, her son and God's prophet until the drought was over. In John 6, 114, we know it, the little boy with his lunchbox. I should have brought our lunchbox in out of the car and you could have seen it. Just a wee tiny Tupperware box like that there. It's got four sandwiches in it, two Slimmer's Well biscuits, that's it, and two packets of crisps. That's all it holds. Now, I don't know if that's going to feed all of you here this morning, but perhaps God will make a miracle out of it. But that's what God does when something little is placed at His hands and it becomes powerful and, and, and so we could go on. Hallelujah. God wants us to give him just what we are. I remember when my first went to a little place called Pim Sand. Anybody know where Pim Sand is? It's a little wee place over near Flindailo. And I took a number of, I need to watch my time. I took 18 of my guys from my church in Pontypridd over to Flindailo because we were having, you know, a few problems the deacons were up here and the rest of the men were down here and neither the twain would meet. No respect, nothing. And so on the way over, I had it all sorted out. I would put one of each deacon into one of the rooms with two or three of the guys. I was going to break this. And most of them cooperated with the exception of four of the guys. They said, we are not sleeping with a deacon in our room. And I was just about to lose my rag. You would never think I could do that, would you? And suddenly the Spirit of God just said, just leave it. I'll sort it out. So I said to the two deacons, because they were really hurt with this. They didn't think that that's, you know. So I just said, look, guys, just, just leave it. Uh, you two deacons can sleep in the same single beds in that bedroom there and, you know. And you know the amazing thing that God did? The following morning, those two very deacons got up at half six in the morning and prepared breakfast for everybody without being told or asked. And then on a Saturday night, we just sang a little song. I'm not going to sing it because my wife hates it when I sing on my own, especially when I go off tune and off key. We sang a little song that says, All that I am. I lay before you. All I possess, Lord, is nothing without you. Savior and King, I now enthrone you. Take my life as a living sacrifice to you. And at the end of singing that a couple of times, I just felt God say to me, challenge these guys, do they really mean it? And as I did, he says, now you go and pray with them. I thought, you must be joking, Lord. 
Because I knew some of these guys, ex-military guys. Some of them had never had a smile on their face for donkey's years. Some of them were as tough as old boots and all the rest of it. But the first two I went and prayed for, I'll never forget, Eric Cull. He's gone to be with the Lord. Eric was an ex-military blacksmith. And Eric was one of these, what I would have called, real mm, tough guys. And I went over to Eric and I said, Eric, would you like me to pray with you? He stood up at this point and said yes. And I did something that I'd never done before because normally when you're praying for people, you go like that, don't you? And you, you know, touch your big mistake. Anyway, what I did, I went like that. My hand on his back and my hand on his tummy. And I said, I will not be accused in any shape and form of pushing. And I started to pray. And my wife, she, she really worries about it because I always pray with my eyes shut. It's a good time thing sometimes to use your eyes open. And I started to pray for him. And eventually I thought, I just sensed he wasn't there. I looked and there he is lying on the floor. And this guy who had never laughed in his wife said life he's laughed with his wife perhaps, but anyway, he started to sort of rise and laugh on the floor. And I think, what that's going on? I had never experienced anything like this. And then this big deep belly laughter started to come out of this guy's life. And he changed. Became soft and loving and all the rest of it. And the story goes that Flora and I met his daughter down Pontypridd one day. And she says, Pastor and Flora, whatever you did to my dad, would you take my mum and do the same for her? <laughs> you see, something given to God. All that he was, he made that decision that night to give his life to God. And God totally... Now, Eric had been a Christian for years, but he moved with God. And he saw God do an amazing thing in his life. That's only one. What gifts are you sitting on this morning? What talents have you got that could bless this church? Wow. I tell you what, folks, there's dozens of stuff in here that could be made available to God's bride to do something in clinically, but they would change it and turn it around. You see, what Moses didn't realize that from the moment he was born, God had been training him for this task. He should have died as a little boy. He grew up to become uh, uh, in the court of the Pharaoh. He received the finest of education and military training. He knew his way around the palace. For a further 40 years, he learned the skills of surviving in the wilderness, defending the sheep. He was perfectly suited for the job. And who knows what job you are perfectly suited for this morning that God has prepared you for all your life up to now. If you'll only step out and say, God, take my life. And let it be. The unbelievable could happen that you could actually do something great for God. Amen? Yeah. The possibilities, the potential in this church to do things is amazing. The unbelievable could become believable. Let me just use a word of warning before I finish. Don't get exasperated with God. can understand it sometimes. Don't try his patience. We parents or grandparents know what it feels like when our children persist in making excuses for not doing what they should do. 
Am I right, parents? Oh, it's so frustrating at times. So, and you know, they just drive you bonkers. To eventually you get to that stage when the, the wee cap comes off up here and the steam starts to come out. You got the picture? And you just blow. Am I right? No, of course not. We're all saintly in here. All saintly in here. Whatever your gift, let God control it. Given to God, it became the rod of God. Whatever your gift this morning, folks, dare I say it, put it at God's disposal. Put it at God's disposal. He will empower you. He will equip you. He will anoint you to do what he wants you to do. And I don't want to be proud or shipboatful in any sense, but when I look back in my life, I thank God that I am where I am today by the grace of God. I was a nothing. I was a nobody. But I know where I am in God now. And that doesn't make me proud or boastful. I know what God has done in my life. And I'm not going to belittle it in any shape or form. Moses was to prove that with God's help and direction, what he had always longed for, the release of God's people from the freedom of the slavery that they were involved in, was accomplished. And I know it's a desire of many here that we will see the folks of Clinically set free from the freedom of Satan and the power of the devil that's got, got over them and all the rest of it. We want to see people set free, don't we? We want to see them brought into a relationship with Jesus. We want to see them serving God in an amazing way. And there's nothing better when you see transformed lives by the grace of God. Yeah. Yeah. But you and I need to step up to the platform as it were. And see what God's got. So as I finished, are you up for it? Yeah. Well, that was about five. Yeah. Are you up for it? Yeah. Whatever the cost, whatever the challenge, <laughs> folks, there's nothing better than moving forward with God and seeing what God's got for you. There's a new season coming. There's an old song that says, there's a new day dawning. Hallelujah. And God is calling each one of us to rise up, to deal with whatever issues they've got, and get active with God, and not be inactive in what God's got for you. The Lord bless you. Thank you.